Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. The Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash practical guitarist or on Twitter as at practguitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com and donate to us via Patreon available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Hi, David. Hello, Jim. Uh, What happened? I don't know. (laughs) Well, Um, I never start. This record button is not working like half the time right now. I need to put in a a ticket with our hosts. A trouble ticket. um, Because I click it and then nothing happens. And then I click it again and all of a sudden it's live. (laughs) That's okay. Jim was supposed to start one off soon anyways. Um, Just a word of warning. Jim will be eating during the first part of this episode. This is being recorded. This is being recorded. (laughs) Recorded after Jim's work, um, and he's eating his final meal of the day, uh, of the day, yeah. um, n- not not of his life or anything. No, my uh, final meal. Um, okay. He's literally, I, he's sitting in his house right now. He has a coat on. He like literally just walked <laughs> out of the car. I believe that's some sort of Taco Bell that he's eating right there. You can never tell. The only, you know, you know, it's Taco Bell now. It looks like Doritos, like or you know, it looks like a like a really crappy burrito. And then yep. it's like, oh, that's Taco Bell. You know. Yep. That's the um, one. So. Uh, let me think. Uh, I got a lot of crazy stuff coming up, so I guess I should start while Jim is chowing down over here. That's good. I idea. got. Uh, I have a, another show at Rookies in Bloomingdale. Oh, nice. Uh, or Roselle, or wherever that place is. It's Rookies near Bloomingdale and Roselle. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, this last show we had was up there, and it's this is a charity gig. Um, one of our one of our band members uh, supports charity every Christmas, and so we're doing the show. Um, and actually. Uh, my wife is changing jobs and it appears that uh, this will be her like, you know, last hurrah with the old company before she moves over to the new company. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, so it will be cool if you're, if you're in the area in the Chicago area and you want to come in and check it out. Uh, we're just going to, you know, play a bunch of music and it'll be fun. So um, there's big things happening this week. Um Yeah. Get gear things. No, not gear things. Not I got gear. gear I got gear stuff coming up. Yeah, here. I know. We we'll get to your gear problem. Um, <laughs> Jim needs Jim needs guitar methadone. Yeah, I do. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah. So Star Wars comes out what tomorrow? I think right Thursday. Mm-hmm. No, today's today's Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, dude, days are running and doing that. So. For those of you who don't know, we normally record on Sunday evenings, right? And that didn't happen this week because I'm having a flooring disaster right now. 
Uh, I am not living in my condo at the moment. I am recording for my condo this evening. Um, I am literally sitting in the only clear space in my house where someone can actually like hang out um, because <laughs> there's furniture everywhere else except for my bedroom, which is completely devoid of furniture except for the crappy flooring I bought that doesn't function properly. You can't put it together in the using the prescribed instructions. That's um, insane. They say, tap it with a mallet. And you tap it with a mallet, and guess what happens? The little tongue that holds it together falls off. It literally breaks off. In fact, I'm sitting here, and I have a piece of it right here in front of me. This oh, my God, off. that's it? That's yep. all it is? Yeah, yeah, because it's – I mean, the vinyl's like, that thick. It's it's really thin. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's less than uh, – I would say it's probably five or six millimeters thick. It's not, it's not thick, you know? Um, when you see that mill rating, if you go and look at like, you know, this kind of flooring, it, that mill rating is, is supposed to be the wear rating. It's not necessarily the thickness. Okay. Oh my God. So, um, I mean, it's the, the, actually the flooring looks great. It looks fine. It looks like it's reasonable quality, mm -hmm. um, but it's just, I'm having a hell of a time installing it. We spent an entire afternoon. I got three rows of the flooring in, in like a, you know, 15 by 15 space. Right. I got three rows of the flooring in and then I look over and the first row is bowing up oh, because the joints weren't, weren't good. And this was the second time we did it. So now I'm sitting on three $90 boxes of flooring that have been opened. Um, They're probably just going to trash. And then there's a giant pile of flooring behind me that I have to take back, which is probably 800 pounds or so. Oh um, my God. That I'm going to have to take back so I can get my money out of it and go get yeah. something that actually works. Um, so it's just been a nightmare. Uh, my, as, as listeners to the show who follow us, uh, my house has been in a state of disrepair since like early September. Um, I am at wit's end. I went, I, if you, if you follow the show, you know, I'm in therapy. I went to therapy tonight and I basically just laid out for all the different things that have been going on in my life. And there was not really a whole lot of like, here, let me tell you how to do, how to deal with this. It was yeah. more like, Oh my God. Yeah. You know? Um, so it is what it is. I'm going to play music to try and make myself feel better. I don't know how well that's going to work. Um, I was, I, I was going to make a joke, but I don't want to sound cold. We're doing a shortened episode tonight. That's right. Yeah. Uh, because of all the craziness that's going on in my life right now, I almost wasn't able to squeeze in an episode this week. Yeah. Um, and tonight, actually, the, the comment was maybe like, do I return the flooring I have tonight so that I can buy more flooring and let it acclimate before I install it on Saturday or Sunday? Like, it, this is the kind of like crazy scheduling nonsense that's going on. I was going to take off work tomorrow and do it. And then guess what? Tomorrow's the Christmas party. So I can't take off work because I already RSVP'd for this dine around experience. They're going to drive us around town. This is what gets me. So my, my company, look, they really do take care of us, but yeah. then they do dumb stuff like this. It's like, oh, let's have a Christmas party. What do you want to do? The, no one, no one <laughs> in our office said, I want to stand outside of a bus in the cold. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's what's going to happen tomorrow. Okay? It's supposed to be 22 degrees here. <laughs> and we're all going to be sitting outside of a bus waiting for the restaurants to open up for us. Because that's what we do. Okay? My whole thought was like, why don't we cater in some really good food and have a, yeah. have a 
a team building experience where people can vet, uh, gather and visit in the office. Or right. why don't we all just go to a restaurant? No, we have to get on a bus and drive around town. And by the way, Chicago. So we're driving around town, like yeah. five minutes in between some of these restaurants and stuff. So I, not only that, but I'm not the guy that like goes to the all you can eat buffet and eats everything. Um, I, as my appearance would not suggest, I actually yeah. don't eat a whole lot. So this is going to be one of those crappy, like, Hey, let's go to the first restaurant. Well, I'm full. Let's go yeah. to the second restaurant. What will you have? Nothing. Nothing. I'm already restaurant. full from the first restaurant. Yeah. Go to the third restaurant. What will you have? Give me a glass of water. Yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, that's what it's going to be like for me. They're like, oh, pace yourself. Hell yeah. yeah. No, because if I see something I like, I'm going to eat it because I don't right. take chances. <laughs> Can I get a glass of water and some tums? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, dude, one year they took us to Brazilian Steakhouse. Oh my God, I love that place. Oh my God. The only thing that I can think of in my life that was as exciting to me as going to the Brazilian Steakhouse was probably going to Gearfest. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> A Brazilian Steakhouse would be so awesome. Dude, Seriously. I have somewhere on my desk here, I have the card from the Steakhouse. You, you flip over the card. Oh, yeah, you flip the card. So you, I never yeah. turned it over. <laughs> oh. It stayed, bring me meat the entire time we were there. Oh, Three my hours. God. And and dude, I didn't even know what I was eating at the end of it. I was just like, "What is that? Oh, yeah. I don't care. I don't care. Looks good to dead, me. It's a dead animal. Dead yeah, probably. It's it looks good to me. There's a bone in it. <laughs> um, I probably ate stuff that I would never eat anywhere else. Yep. I would not shock me if you told me I ate duck, if I ate yeah. rabbit, if I yeah. ate boar, if I ate uh goat, um, wild stuff. You know, didn't care. It tasted you know good. You know what surprised me the most, and I don't see it um, in stores for some reason, or you know, in, in a lot of restaurants, is is bison. I love bison. Oh no, we do ground, ground bison in the Midwest. I see it quite a bit, actually. Yeah, out here we don't see it that much. I, I remember getting it in Fort Wayne when I was out there. You might be you might be further away in proximity, and that may be part of the reason why. Yeah. So, um, Jim, let's talk about the uh, the ten thousand pound gorilla that you bought. Um, does it weigh that much well might as well so for listeners of the show if you didn't know Jim actually bought that Les Paul that they yep. were talking about uh, there's a whole shenanigan story and I don't know if Jim, Jim wants to even tell the whole thing yeah but well I can now they, he had to pull the trigger early um, yeah and it was a whole like debacle then you get yep. the guitar and what happened Jim did, did what I say ha- was going to happen happen to you <laughs> so I had it on layaway I was going to wait Pay for it after Christmas, you know. And all of a sudden, the rep says, I, uh, the Gibson rep was there. You know, we're talking. And he goes, I said, did you see that guitar I put on layaway? He goes, dude, that's the first thing they show me when I walked in the door. <laughs> and I said, that's cool, huh? And he goes, yeah, I've already sent an email off to headquarters. And <laughs> I was like, you've got to be me, right? So I, I went to... uh I went to him, you know, on the side and I said, you guys are going to try to take that back. Or he goes, well, he goes, uh, I'm not going to tell, I'm going to tell him that a customer, um, you know, put it on, on layaway and not, a, you know, I don't want to go too deep into how much they covered me seriously, because if, if headquarters had gotten back with them that day and they found out that it was a, an employee and, but all, none of these things happen. Right. Um, and 
I didn't have it paid for before they got back, I wouldn't have got the guitar. No. Now, if it had been anybody else, it could have been you, they've been okay. But because I'm an employee, I'm kind of bound by rules and regulations. Like that. Yeah, they know and they I understand that. They can pull strings on you. Right. I understand that. I get it. All right. So let me describe for you, if you haven't seen the pictures, what this thing actually looks like. Um, picture like Jimmy Page's famous gold top. Not the gold top, but the um, his burst, right? The famous yep. one. Like the song remains the same. It's just the center color all over the guitar. Yeah. Okay? There's no burst. Literally no burst. And it's misleading in the pictures that we put up last week because it looks like there's a burst. There's no burst. Nope. They forgot. <laughs> okay. Right. That's what happened here. They forgot. <laughs> there's literally no one yet who can tell us how it got to that color because that color is not in their catalog at all. That's because so, there is no color. <laughs> right. And so it's like the only thing – we could conjecture, looking at it, those of us who know Les Paul's had a couple of collectors and a few other people together, we're all looking at it, and they were ooh and an on because they love it. And uh, one guy goes, I think what happened was they did the they did the first thing. You know, a burst is for those who don't know, a burst isn't just, you know, they just don't just put red here and brown here and now it's a it's a color. And then another color, and then another color, right. and all those things have to dry and formulate and everything. And it's very slowly done. That's why no two look alike. Well, and, it's also uh, done by hand. It's not done by a machine. Right. And so the best guess is that's what, what a burst would look like if they never put a burst on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure the guy that, that was there from Gibson looked at it and said, there's no burst on this. So they gave me the odds. They said, because what they didn't want to have happen, like you said, there's always that negative Nancy that goes, oh, well, see, QA and Gibson, they can't even, you know, do this right. Um, and he said it, they didn't want a lot of, you know, they don't want a lot of negative or any really negative. Well, but, but, but some of ahead. the greatest things in guitar are mistakes like this. Right. Look at look at all of the vintage Stratocasters that came in the custom colors. And they wore away. What did you see underneath? Sunburst. Right. Because they were sunburst. all painted sunburst originally. Right. <laughs> they didn't right. to strip them. They just painted and right it, over it. The other the other thing that, that uh, a lot of people don't know about the burst. So in the beginning, um, Les Pauls were only two colors, black and gold. That was it. You could get an ebony or you could get a gold one. And the reason for that was Gibson didn't want a lot of people know. What's that? And they were the tuxedo. That's right. Gibson didn't want to know a lot of people or want people to know that, you know, what it was underneath that cap. In the beginning, it was kind of a secret. It was trade secret. Of course, later that came out and went with the burst in the later 50s. Uh, 57, 58. And the dumb part is most people will tell you that the cap doesn't make any real difference to the sound. So, Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know whether it does or not. I'm just saying that's what people say. Right. So then um, the bursts were uh, the reason for all the different bursts are twofold. You got, say, six people working the sprayers for the bursts. And it's Tuesday and they're smoking 
Because back then you smoked everywhere. Everybody smoked everywhere. There were no baby's cribs. Jim, there weren't any different bursts. There was literally just a burst. Okay. Right. It was just a burst. That's what I'm trying to get at. But the reason they look so different was because person A and person B and person C aren't going to burst the thing the same. So they, um, you know, they would come out different. Then you put them in a window where you take them to a gig and you, and you expose them to the sun and you expose them to the, Cigarette you know, the elements and tons of cigarette smoke, especially back then. And what you get are all these variations. And of course, everybody was like, well, I like a tobacco burst, you know, the dark. No, the no, you like the burst. <laughs> you like a burst. <laughs> exactly. And, that, and that's the other side of it. These base colors could be different. And so it all, you know, um, heritage cherry. Um, the, heritage, <laughs> the heritage cherry burst. Yeah. Because we all know what heritage cherry looks like. You know, picture an SG. Right. That's a real heritage. Yeah. Cherry. Well, so I, I mean, I, honestly, um, it, when we started talking about this um, on the sidelines, I looked at the three colors of Les Paul they're offering this year in the 50s model, and I was like, Ugh, it's a snake yeah. farm. Yeah. You know, I wasn't impressed. It just sounded nasty. Um, yeah. I, I, so. I think Gold you lucked top. out. You lucked yeah. out. You got the most desirable one of the entire line this year. Yeah, and, and so they gave me these odds of it ever making it past somebody, much less much less out the door. And it I was mean, one in like millions. Yeah, because in, because in this case, if you look at that guitar, I mean, a visual inspection, a basic visual. Like, let's say they line up. All the factory is doing that day is Heritage Cherry Gibsons. And they're all hanging around the thing, you know. <laughs> And they're barcoded from from birth, right? So as soon yes. as they mate the body and the neck together, they get a barcode. Is my understanding. So they right. and then the guy's going down the line to get ready to ship them. He's just throwing them in cases, you know. And he gets down to this one that's like got no finish on it, and he just ignored it, threw it in the case, wasn't thinking about it. So yeah. I can imagine all these scenarios of all these stories that are being told to the guy by a coworker that just made him just forget to even like do his quality check job and throw it in the case. But here, yeah, but you think about. Um, the uh the, think about this think about the um this i'm going to show you a picture i'm pulling this up that's why i'm kind of um so this picture is the one that they take all right when it's on the right bench right it's on somebody's bench it it made it pass think about this for a minute that's why i don't think it's an accident I think it was meant to be this way, um, but not meant to get where it went. I'll, I'll give you some more on that. But I think right. it says something about their quality, which which is actually – it's a good thing. Trust me. Right. So if you look at this, right, that thing looks gorgeous. Looks beautiful right there. All right. <clears throat> this means that for for something bad like this to happen, it would have had to get past the sprayer. It would have had to get past the people who were bursting it. It would have had to get past the – the person down the line, it would have to get past this person who does a final check and puts it in a box that says Heritage Sherry. I think the only thing that I only I think the only person that screwed up was shipping and receiving. Okay. So here's here's where I think you might you might be onto something, but you might not be. So okay. the guy that does the um the quality control check, we're making a big assumption here, is that he scans the tag or he looks at the tag to make sure the guitar is what it is. Now, he's also the guy that's doing the final setup, right? Yep. Usually. So in this case, maybe he didn't look at the tag. Maybe he thought this was some other Les Paul that they were doing. 
and which tells you that the stand the standard quality level is just as high as some of the other Les Pauls they're producing. They're probably of a higher quality. Right. Now, that's not to make the assumption because we were talking about the uh, custom shop being in the same house that they have the same quality control or anything like that. They may have a different – I mean, they could be – they could literally be in the same building with a firewall between them and nobody ever sees anybody. Uh, we, right. we don't know how that's all set up. Neither of us have been to the factory, so – No. Um, and But maybe you'll get to go. Um, so – as the story goes, right? So this 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 odd Les Paul makes it all the way through the factory, and that's and that's the weird one. It's like you know that that's not the only quality control process they have in place. Somebody else along the line went off and gave that guitar a check mark. That's why right. the odds are so high, right? right? One person making a mistake, that's understandable, but three or four people, which is probably what's involved in their quality checking, maybe more than that. That's kind of weird, yep. but. It happens. I mean, look at the Abigail Yabara pickups that came out of the Fender factory in the in the fifties and sixties. And we know her name because her name was stamped on all sorts of great pickups. And all of those great pickups are attributed to when she took long lunches and yeah. left pickups on the winders. <laughs> but it's it's a total accident. It's a quality control disaster, but it ended up hanging a happy accident. Right. And I could so I could totally see Gibson taking the, the taking your guitar. You go up to them and you say, "Hey, I want to bring it because didn't they want you to have like didn't they talk to you about bringing it in?" Um, yeah, yeah. So now if you bring it in, they're going to take photos of it, and I could see them doing it as a custom shop option called like, right. No Burst, right, or something like that. Because it's not an unburst. Believe it or not, if you look at the unbursts, which they do on the sixties models, yeah, it's like a reverse. They burst. have a burst. It's like a reverse yeah. thing. But yeah. but so this is the thing I wanted to ask you though, and I wanted you to read off for our, for our listeners. So Jim buys this guitar, right? He he makes yeah. these crazy arrangements to make this deal happen on short notice, and then you have no idea. He gets a call saying he has to bring the guitar back in because they need to do something with the receipt. Now explain to everybody what they did with the receipt. All they did was put on the on the receipt. It says in a comment. Not heritage cherry, um, something about something along the lines of um, coloring correct. That's your that's not your heritage that's cherry. your new that's your new color code, Jim. Color yeah. incorrect, color incorrect. Not heritage Hold cherry. On. I can literally read it to you because I got it right in front of me. Hold on, color discrepancy. Oh, that's gonna work. Not that's it. Color discrepancy. Not Heritage Cherry. That's what they. That's what they put on my receipt. I think that's the title of the episode: Color Discrepancy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I I laugh so hard. I mean, you know, it plays just as good or better than any um, that I've had. I just uh, I just wanted a um, a Lysos Paul, and I wanted the fifties. Um, and that's the other thing about this. This is why it, it it seems to me that this was supposed to go to somebody. I get the feeling this was a one-off, kind of, kind of. Hey, buddy, can you do this for me? Yeah, but maybe it was supposed to go to a specific dealer or something, and then it, yeah. like that was the quality control screw up. Then instead of going into this premier dealer, who was supposed to be like the top guy's special guitar, you know, it right. ends up going to Guitar Center on accident. <laughs> well, even if it was a guy, let's say a Guitar Center, which which could be, maybe it was supposed to go to the Hollywood store, right. maybe it was supposed to go to the New York store. But my point is. The the neck is different. the The whole thing about this guitar is different from all the fifty standards that I've mastered. Can we play? Can we play a game? Yeah. So 
you bought this guitar, you bought it at a Les Paul standard price. Let's say the current Les Paul standard, what, like 2400 $2,499. $2,499. Yeah. So assuming Jim gets it at this price, because obviously we know that there's probably discounts and stuff involved since he worked at Guitar Center now. Um, $2,499. How much is this guitar really worth? Because exactly. this is one of those few cases where once you take it home, you have something no one else has. Right. And it, actually, it, it, I, I would go as far to say that the guitar like this is priceless because it's as much as Jim will take from somebody offering to, to buy it from him. <laughs> That's how much it's worth. So, you know, this guitar could easily be a $10,000 guitar if somebody wants to offer Jim $10,000 and Jim decides, yep, that's the price. You know, I've literally, I've literally thought about reaching out to Bonamassa because he does these guitar safaris. Yeah. And- I mean, he might be interested. I, I honestly, I, I don't know how interested he would be in new Les Pauls, but he might know somebody who does buy like one off right. weirdo things because there right. are collectors that are like that. Um, yeah. I knew a guy. I met a guy. I don't I don't know him personally. I don't even know his name. Who collected um, the Gibson Blues Hawks or whatever? Oh yeah, uh, the you know, like the Les Paul, like the they were like a, I don't know what you would call, them, but they were like a hollow body Les Paul kind of thing with P nineties um, with a Veritone circuit on them. And uh, he loved those things, and he had like twelve or thirteen of them, you know. And it was just a weird guitar that he really liked, and. You could get them pretty inexpensively, so he bought a bunch of them. Um, oh yeah, I could totally see there being like a Gibson mistake collector, somebody who like buys the Gibsons that like kind of got factory screwed up. But what's right. going to be really cool is in ten to twenty years when you say I got a guitar that's post Juskowitz that could arguably be because of the poor quality control procedures that were in place at the time. Yeah. I think that's the real collector appeal. So I yeah. personally, Jim, I wouldn't sell to anybody at least in the next 10 years. I mean, yeah. I mean, when you're retiring and like you feel like you don't really want to be on the road with this thing anymore and that kind of thing in 10, yeah. 15 years, then you list it as factory, uh, you know, like factory, um, what do you call it? Uh, unicorn. Right, uh, right. Because this is a, a weird guitar that no one else has seen. That's why I kind of want to get a video done um with me at the you know with the factory and then just oh, so that, that that there's like proof because i don't want some oh yeah that's chinese knockoff or or oh you you had somebody refinish it and you're just saying that gibson yeah out that way exactly exactly um which you know you could easily verify that because you can compare the nitro to guitars at the time but uh i think i mean honestly i know you're gonna play it i'm kind of like Dude, that's yeah, I know. That's just that it. You really it might have to play that much. To, yeah, it might have to sit and I'll have to buy another one. But but even bottom also, like, look at all the collector guitars he has. They've all been played. <laughs> like they've been played to yeah. hell. Um and I don't think he's even interested in a guitar that hasn't been played to shit. I mean, um, so he wants things yep. holes in the pick guard and everything else. Which is oh fine. More power to him. I love guitars that have been beat, you know, that snot beat out of them. But um I just think it's kind of funny that collector – he's not really a collector so much as a collector player, whereas like true collectors, they look for the closet classic stuff. They have the action that's like 10 inches high. <laughs> um, so I don't know, man. I think it's a cool find. I think it's a cool guitar. I think yep. you're really lucky to find something like that new. Yeah. Yeah. And and I'm actually kind of surprised uh, that nobody 
Well, outside of our guitar center, yeah, the, the people who visit it, nobody knew about it. Yeah. No yeah. And it's going to be that way. I mean, that's, that's the crazy thing about it is you're going to have to explain to everybody when they're like, yeah. they're like, that guitar looks really off. Like there's something wrong with it. Yeah. And yeah. then you explain to them like, oh, here's, here's what's going on here. Um, yeah. That's another reason I want to get that Nashville video. Cause I want to kind of put it up say, all right, look, nobody can is... steal it from you. Yep. No, no. Serial <laughs> number, the color, everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I've got another piece of gear coming. Yeah, well, and this is like this is almost not, not a big deal. This is almost not even notable, but I know after this, everything kind of goes kind of goes down from here. So Jim, Jim just bought a twenty four hundred dollar guitar, and he bought a six hundred dollar ish amp. <laughs> well, yeah, well, the, all right. So before this guitar, you remember two weeks ago, I took home a twenty two hundred dollar um, hummingbird. A, a hummingbird. Yeah. So yeah, Jim's got a problem. Yeah. Jim needs yeah. Jim needs guitar methadone. <laughs> um that's that's what Jim needs at this point. He needs something to substitute for buying new guitars, amplifiers, and effects. Okay. Jim needs it's to so like bad. buy PA equipment or something. Just just do something else with your money. Like just change direction a little bit. So not not that it's even a big deal. I just I just got a blues junior. <laughs> um be, I mean it's like it's like how you know it, it was like um I mean the you know, I'm in the store and I'm, I'm looking at my, and I go, you know what? You, you had mentioned it. You yeah, said, how much the Blue Junior? And then I kind of, I looked at that Supro uh, King 12. Yeah. The, the no. Blues King. No. Yeah. Yes. You agree with me then after, after what yeah. I said? Yeah. They sound like crap. Oh, um, I could not believe that they're charging what they're charging for that thing. Um, it, I mean, it's Epiphone Valve Junior kind of sounds. Uh, at like four times the price, which is, I was just like, what? Yeah. Why would I buy a champ that's, you know, <laughs> like with a 12 inch speaker that's like, you know, the same amount of money, basically. That I think there was 600 bucks for one. Yes. Yeah, it's the same price as the, the, um, yeah, the Blues Junior. Well, I, so is the, the Blue, is the Blues King made in the States though? Cause the Blues oh, Junior, I, I believe, is made in Mexico. That's a possibility. Yeah, the Blues Junior is definitely inside made. Mexico or China, and I don't remember which. I don't think that the Supro uh, Blues King is and maybe their first foray into a into a foreign built amp. Um, honestly, I do not think it's built in the because everything else the Supro was making was built in Absara, New York. Um, I mean, it's a possibility. So they make two versions of the Blues King too. They make an eight. They make an eight uh, inch one watt version. I know. Oh, they actually make a couple of ones. So they have like a five watt ten one by ten. That actually is pretty compelling, but not at that price. Four hundred seventy five bucks for the five watt version, and oh then the God. one you'd actually want the twelve the the uh, twelve inch fifteen watt version. That's six hundred right. bucks. I'm looking for um. Anything on the chassis that indicates where it was made. Well, you know it where I have to go. Made in USA on it. I'm no, gonna go to uh, Sweetwater. It's yeah, that's where I'm looking right now. It doesn't. It's definitely not. No. Well, so it says Absara Audio hyphen New York, which means designed. Um, right. It does not mean made there, which is quite interesting. Uh, I'd have to see the the, the guts because I I've seen enough Supra circuit boards at this point. 
that I could tell you a little bit more about it. I do like that it's 606 based. Right. But granted, I mean, you're going to have to do a lot of mods to get that amp to sound as good as the, the um, Blues Jr. does. That That's the thing. So the Blues Jr. punches well above its weight class, especially now in the in the fourth iteration of that thing. So I remember yep. playing one and two. And I remember two being like, yeah, it's a tube amp. You know, like that was why you bought it. Because it was like the cheapest tube amp you could get. It was worth it. And then right. the three came out and it was like they got a they got kind of new life and people were, you know, more interested in putting different speakers and stuff in them. Then the four yep. was announced, what, like in 2018 or 2017? Yep. And I saw the demo for it and they showed the reverb and they showed what they did with the tone controls and stuff. And I was like, it's perfect. They listened to all of the feedback as to why people hated it, you know, like who bought it and sold it. And they realized what they had to do to fix it. Now it has yeah. killer reverb on it. I don't care if yep. it's a spring or if it's digital. I didn't I, I didn't even ask that question. The reverb on it sounds much more fender. It's a spring. I can tell you that because when you bang it a box yeah. around, because mine's in a box right now. I put the box down. I was like, clank, clank, clank. And I was like, oh, crap, it's broke. My fr- and, no, uh, you're not going to break it by smashing no, it. Um, no, it's it's the spring reverb. So I think they changed the tank, and I think they also changed the driver circuit and some other things. But then the, even the, uh, the the tonality of the amp and the speaker, like the, the just the stock speaker they're putting in them is so much better than what they were putting in them before. Uh, right. They switched to Celestian A-type? They went to uh, Eminence uh, – What's up, brother? Is it? It's an Eminence. I thought it was a. Uh, no, I think the four is a uh, an A type. It and might wrong. be. Oh, maybe the three is the Eminence. Yeah, the three is where they went to the Eminence. I bought. Yeah, the four is an A type. It's I can see the Celestian logo on the back. Yep, you're right. Um, yep. So, and my, the main thing is like I, why I would want the three or the the four over the three is the the just the tonal upgrades but also the black panel on top is way easier to see and i would gig this thing i could use a 15 watt amp and gig most places where i play yep. um now granted this is not going to give me the sounds that i'm after for the most part so i'm going to have some pedals on the floor but um i think these guys are are they actually make really good pedal platforms they're very similar to a hot rod deluxe in that regard um the problem with the hot rod of course is they're just, they're just too damn loud um, yeah. And that volume knob, unless you do mods to it, is just ridiculously sensitive. Um, I heard that they fixed that though, because there was an HRD version four or whatever that's in the same yes. line where yep. where the volume knob is supposed to be better. Yeah, the hot rod one. Uh, I looked at the hot rod one too, but, but um, we had that. But Jim, why would you buy a hot rod when you can buy any of a billion of them that are used? Right. Like a fraction of the price, because yep. because they because they they now have a reputation for being super loud. Uh, what's the hot rod go for now? It's like seven hundred. Um, I think they're they're six fifty or seven hundred. Yeah, they are now eight hundred dollars, my friend. No, yes, they are eight hundred dollars. Oh my god! I can remember when a hot rod deluxe was four hundred bucks. Which is dating myself. So yeah. So put that in perspective. I can buy a four, three hundred fifty or four hundred dollar oh. hot rod deluxe, or I can buy an eight hundred dollar new one. Um. Oh my god! No wonder I'll live with the problems. You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's yep. where I'm at. Like I'll live with the crappy one. Like it's fine. Um. 
I, what gets me is, so this is kind of prompted. Um, this whole thing for me was prompted by, by uh, reverb put out a list of the, the top selling um, amplifiers of 2019 on reverb site. And the blues junior is always at the top of the list. Uh, it was right. number two last year. This year, I believe it was number one. It was, yeah. and, and it was, so the funny part is number two on that list is the one that just absolutely kills me. It still slays me. It's the Katana. Yeah. I mean, I get it. It's the cheapest amp you can get that anybody actually wants. Yeah. Um, I mean, and it's a hell of a lot cheaper than a Blues Junior, but it's funny because in years past, I can remember seeing like Hot Rod Deluxe come up in those kind of discussions. And now that the word is kind of out, that they're super loud and uh, you really can't, they're really not a great pedal, pedal platform for a lot of people and what they're trying to do. Like if you're trying to play a Hendrix with a Hot Rod Deluxe, you're going to blow people's heads off because you're, oh you're going to yeah. hit it with a fuzz face and it's got to be a little distorted to begin with. Um, yep. I got a friend of mine, he, play, he does open mics with those things and just literally will tear your face off if you're... If you're in line with it, I don't care if you're in the back of the bar. With a single yeah. 12. I had one with two Eminence Legend 10s. That thing would peel paint off the walls. I had to put hearing protection on just to be in the room with it. And it was funny because when I had it, like it was the punchiest amp I'd ever owned because they had done some mods to it. I mean, it was it, I should have kept that amp. I, I really should have. I mean, yeah. kind of kicked myself because I've sold it. I know we've talked about it on the show before. Um, so what was what was interesting about it was I had a Rivera. I had the R30 that that uh, Nick Barnes now owns, um, or 3012, depending on you know. It's an R30, right? Like that's the actual designation, and right. that's supposed to be a loud amp. And it did not touch. <laughs> it did not even come close to what that hot rod could do. <laughs> I uh, mean, it was I, the hot rod before it was even breaking up was like way louder than, <laughs> than that uh, than the thirty watt Rivera that was supposed to be, you know, loud as sin. Basically, we've we've got an amp in the store right now to rip your face off, but it is the coolest amp that I've seen in a long time. It's the real thing. It's not a reissue. It's nothing like that. It's a 1967 Super Reverb four by ten. They're all they're all four by ten. That's a Super Reverb format. Yeah. Holy, I mean, dude, that thing will. And and the stupid part about it is that amp is going to go for like less than three G's yeah. all day long. I mean, you you want to buy a deluxe Reverb from that era? You're pushing four thousand dollars at this point you know, for a good one. Uh, right. And you can buy great super reverbs all day long for like, I've seen them for as low as a thousand bucks. Vintage ones. Yeah. Um, in fact, I saw a 60, maybe it was a 67. Pre-silver pre face, right? Like a Yep, yep, black face. Uh, yep. <clears throat> four by 10, a whole, whole deal. No new Tolex. Cabinet was beat to, beat to crap. You could tell he had gigged hard in his life. Um, had had all new caps and stuff installed, brand new. Like he had the original tubes, but he had brand new tubes installed. Um, I think one of the speakers had been replaced, and maybe it was two. And they wanted like fourteen hundred for it. And I'm like, are they really that inconvenient that somebody will pay fourteen hundred dollars for it for a uh, super reverb like that? Yeah, I mean, oh, I 
I'll tell you. So I had a buddy of mine in the store today. He was trying out an amp and he's like, man, this sounds great. Oh, God, it's killer. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I said, uh, you know, that's a that's a solid state amp. And he goes, what? Oh, you tried the Tone Master? Yep. He was playing the Tone Master, the Twin Reverb Tone Master. You know, so I heard the Twin and I liked it. Um, yep. I don't think that's not something I could get out of my camper. And I definitely <laughs> hear there was some stuff going in the high, on the high end on the reverb that yep. the real deal doesn't do. And I don't know whether it's because the real deal's a reissue or whether it's because the um, it's just a digital artifact that comes through. But there's definitely something going on in the high end that you won't hear. Like it smooths out with the tube yep. stage in it. Um, and I'm I mean, I would gig it like I don't I don't have any problem with it. I, I do think the price needs to come down about 200 bucks. For, for both yeah uh, for me yeah. to be like okay yeah but th- but they will and and the the uh interesting thing will for me will be how soon is that going to happen and i hope they discontinue them i i hope that they're yeah because i'm gonna buy one as soon as they discontinue them. what i'll get one used and i'll pay like nothing for it because it's yeah. digital and it'll be out of date you know what i mean because it well here's yeah I can say this: they never last more than three days in the store right now. Mm-hmm. So they're still yeah, there's really buzz behind them, and it may be that they actually do take off. But I hope they don't. Yeah. <laughs> I really do because yeah, that, that's because I want to get one. Yeah, I want to get one cheap. <laughs> um, I thought the freaking Cyber Twin sounded good. I mean, we talked about that on the yeah. show. I thought about buying yeah. one. Didn't you buy one or something? Yeah, I had one. Yeah, what happened to it? I sold it. Oh, oh, that you did? Yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. I don't even remember why now. To be honest with you, probably just because you weren't using it. Um, I still got that. I still got that Roland. I still got. Well, my, now you got that Blues but, Junior coming in. You don't have no need for that Katana now. I know. I'm thinking about. I don't know if I want to give the Katana to the kids or just sell it. I'm laughing because I'm like Jim's going to sell a Katana, and now he's going to get a Katana. And then buy it later on, he's going to get a Katana too. By the end of 2020, he will have. He will have. <laughs> I count 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 too, count yeah. Seven Katanas. <laughs> yeah, seven of them at that. point. Well, no, the Katana 2 is completely different. No, Jim, that's not oh my that God. Crap. Come on. I know. I know. But that's what I'm trying to say. I had a person in the store. We had a Katana. We had a Katana 2 next to each other. Right? Yeah. Katana's 40 bucks cheaper. The guy's like, well, can't you give me the same price on the Katana 2? I said, no. I don't think you understand why the Katana is $40 cheaper. It's because people like you think it's that the other one is better. It's just got more crap on Dude, it. Dude, and that – so – there are actually people, and I've seen them in groups and things online, who are arguing uh-huh. that the Katana version one sounds better than the version two. Yeah, that's gonna happen. And I just kind of sit there and shake my head. I'm like, it's ones and zeros. They didn't change the AD converters. It's the same freaking thing. That's right. All I did identical. was give you a few more tones. Maybe the cabinet yep. dimensions might be slightly different. The speaker might have been revised or something, but. But ultimately, or maybe the speaker has been worn in. I've never been a big proponent of believing in that, but maybe it has been. Maybe oh, yeah. That, yeah, maybe, maybe that's the real difference. Um, I'm not going to buy another katana. I've had two. Um, and uh, I'm just, I'm to the point where it's like, it's got to be, I got to be able to get like professional level sound out of something for even, for even to bat an eye at it at this point. Um, I am looking at, the the blues junior and and the reason why I'm looking at it is actually it's a rehearsal amp. I want something I yeah. can pick up and just carry around. They don't weigh anything. They're like twenty five pounds. 
Um, yeah, yeah, they're super, super small. That was the thing. So I was looking at uh, the Andertons did this shootout of the, you know, the small amps, blah, blah, blah. And <clears throat> they had the the Marshall uh, Origin 20, the uh, which I don't know why they didn't choose the DSL 20, but they went with the Origin 20, whatever. The, the Marshall Origin 20. These are, these are the amps they lined up against each other, which was why it was such it was a more, wide variety. I think it was more in like configuration style because the DSL 20 is a more modern amp, whereas the Origin 20 is more like kind of what the Hot Rod built or the Hot Rod and yeah. the, the uh, Blues Junior are. Right. And then they went to, uh, so, um, and then a, a Vox AC15. Right. A super, uh, the, the Blues King 12. Uh, the uh, who was he? Oh, Black Stars HT20. And uh, I would think the Black Star Artisan would be a better fit for that, or the art- yeah, me artist. Too. And that's hard. But they were trying to keep them, they were trying to keep them all around the same price point and all around the same I feature set. It was under 600. And the other one was the uh, oh, the Blues Junior. Okay. And so they were saying, well, the Blues Junior sells the best. That's the one that, you know, flies outdoor the most, the blah, blah, blah. Oh, and an orange rocker verb 15. Which I I I had a guy looking at one today, and he said the same thing I did. Overpriced. Yeah, the rocker verb's really expensive. For what it is. I don't think they sound good clean either. No, I know people are like, oh yeah, they're really good for you know they're versatile amps. I don't think they're versatile at all. I think they're no. gained out or nothing, and and they're gained out like if you're not into the fizzy like kind of fuzzy sort of distortion, that's really yeah. not where you want to be. Um, I also don't like how undefined their sound is. It's a little bit raw but, for for what I do. But I I can tell you that I wasn't surprised at all with with the results of. Honore playing through all the amps. Um, I I liked the Black Star until you put it next to the other ones. You know yeah, I mean? well, the Black Star has the most features, but I think the Black Star is really meant to go toe to toe with the DSL. So I'm like, right. they picked the wrong amp for that shootout, really, because um, yeah. the the Black Star artist or whatever the artist 15, I think it's yeah. 700. It would be the most expensive in that category for sure. Um, but I, you know, I, I, well, anyway, I liked the two amps. I liked the best that they shot out was the, was the origin and the, um, and the blues junior. It wasn't the blues King, was it? No, the AC-15. no, it was, no, the AC 15 had, had it going on when it was, um, a certain way, but, um, yeah, I think um, AC, I think. All right, so I'm going to commit blasphemy. I think Vox AC amplifiers in general, AC-15s, AC-30s, AC-5, AC-10s, I think those amps sound better mic'd up in a studio session than they do in the room. I think those amps have a tendency to be really kind of ugly sounding. Um, But once you get a a microphone in front of them, there's some magic about them, Um, which is why I don't – I've never gravitated towards them – I'm not a. I don't dislike them. I've owned a lot of Vox products in my in my life, and I I can get away with that sound because I played. I my solid state amp for years was a Vox, 
And it, it was really funny because the first time I actually plugged into a tube Vox, it was like a very similar experience in terms of what the controls did and how everything interacted. Um, so I quickly realized like, yeah, I could, I could buy this and I could gig this and I could be happy with it. But at the same time, I was like, it's not really what I'm after. Um, and I think, I think it's really easy for people to look at Vox who watch their heroes and icons, the people like the edge, Brian may, uh, Tom Petty, you know, and, and, um, early Beatles, early Beatles. And really, I mean, uh, a lot of different artists like that doing this edge of breakup thing with, with the AC series amplifiers and saying, that's what I want, you know, and being like totally in tune with that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I just think that there's a lot of that's hero worship and less yeah. so like in term in terms of like how you actually want to use it. Um, you see it kind of, I saw it for a while in the, in the P-Dubs community when they were all Lincoln Brewstered out and oh, yeah, to yeah. run like tube screamers into, into AC series amplifier um, <laughs> because he could get those, those sounds out of his, his pod rig. He was running a pod stereo. I think the two AC thirties and he was basically just doing like the SRV tones and stuff like that. And people were yeah. losing their minds over it. Um, yeah. And I thought it was cool because I'm like, well, that's not the typical way you would hear that done. But I kind of got it. I was like, okay, so you could do the same thing with a super reverb, just to crank the reverb. Yeah. Um, yeah, I told you, I told you about this one guy that I saw. He played a, um, he played a Line Six Pod HD 500, not even the new DX yep. model, the old model, um, into a freaking Fender Hot Rod Deville, and he sounded, he had, he had it going on like donkey kong when it came to playing srv there's a guy um locally he's got a he's got a les paul custom he runs it uh -huh. into a dsl uh dsl 40 cr and has a pedal board you know he's got like a distortion plus and stuff on there um, pretty basic setup um of course all professionally laid out and everything and that guy sounds like a million bucks and i was like i honestly the first time i heard him it was right after i got off stage and i was like he sounds better than me with the, you know, the, this three thousand dollar piece of gear over here. And I, I, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna say something unpopular. You know how they say that tone is in your fingers and blah blah blah, which I think is partially BS, but partially true. Here's my thing: if all you ever had was what you had, make okay, it work. You'll make it work. You will make it work. You will pull those tones out of it. In whether it's pick attack, whether it's the way you roll off, sure. of the, whether the guitar you choose, the, the that's same. actually the fun part about the modeling gear is because you can't really develop like a relationship with the amplifier in the same way that you do when you're playing through, you know, a real amplifier in the sense that every you know how it's going to respond, right? Um, especially right. the Kemper, because it's literally, you know, changing the entire topology of the amplifier to react differently when you switch yep. uh, profiles and it's, I mean, it's night and day you're playing a plexi. It does not feel like playing a deluxe reverb and vice versa. Um, and there's a real challenge as a player to understand that when you hit that foot switch to switch amplifiers, all of a sudden you got to change everything. Um, I never had that experience with other modeling equipment, not to say that right. that isn't a thing. I'm just saying right. that, when I had my my flex tone three years ago, um, right, and I would switch tones like it would pretty much react the same way. 
Um, right. And it was not something I'd set up. It was just that was the models were kind of vaguely similar in a way. Um, yep. And I think that presents an interesting dynamic to this idea that um, people who use modelers are not real guitar players and stuff like that. It's that's completely the opposite of what's going on there. They actually, um, they're li- they're like the guy that you got in the studio who you know says, "Oh, you want to you want to marshal on this track? Oh, you want a uh, deluxe reverb on this track?" There's a reason why players are identified with specific amplifier companies because the technologies right. and and the way they react to them are like. They they're kind of like DNA. They they fit together, and there's you know really only four different choices. Uh, right. And so when you see somebody like um, I'm trying to think of well, like Slash is a good example. He only plays Marshalls, right? Um, which is probably yeah. not really true. I think I remember reading he played a Bogner and some other things in, in different places, but um, he's known for playing Marshalls, and Bogners aren't right. far off from Marshalls. Um, whereas uh, um. Again, you know, loud fenders like that was the kind of thing. Yep. And Stevie Ray Vaughan, uh, loud clean amps, you know, and, loud clean amps. And yeah. he looked for stuff that was more fender in nature, but you know, he did have Marshall Club and Countries, and he had that, uh, that Dumble, which is vaguely fenderish, fenderish. Um, and I guess that's what I'm getting at is that, that, um, yeah, t- there was some cross, you know, pollinating there. But not like it is today, where you got a guy with an axe effects who, you know, he's got right. he's got fenders on one song and boxes on another, and then he's doing, uh, you know, a couple different types of marshals with with uh, some Mesa stuff in there too. And you're sitting there going, as a listener, um, listening to one of those experiences with, with an album like that would be like uh, a collage in a way. Um, and I I've experienced so I do my own tracks for for playing out, and we do these. Um, uh, I, I come in, you know, set up my thing and whatever. And one of my tracks has some very different sounding um, drums and they're actually set at different levels and it's jarring. Um, and I kind of think that I need to go back and master it differently and like maybe fix the drums in the mix for that song. So when I have a live mix of it, they're cohesive. And the reason being is that um, you want people to feel like there's, it's the same band playing those songs and I think that same trick that's going on in my ears when I hear my tracks that way is the same thing that a listener hears when they hear like 30 different guitar sounds on one song. Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. Um, but it does. I will say it has raised the bar bar technically for a lot of guitar players. Like you see yeah. these guys like Andy James. Um, I think Andy James plays fractal stuff. I, I could be wrong on that. Um, and the guy's up monstrous player just like inhuman and he's one of these dudes that jared dines would totally be like you're faking um and but he's not right and he's kind of legendary for that already and he hasn't had a super long career or anything like that um and he's one of these dudes that can change the feel like that from song or from within a song you know and just know that now when i hit this button like i gotta change my pick attack completely and all the stuff and it and it sounds flawless um, I don't know that somebody like a Jimmy Page would be able to do that without rehearsing it ahead of time or like, you know, you know what I mean? Like without, without experiencing it, but he's probably a really bad candidate. Cause that guy's all over the place. AC thirties, Fender pro juniors, Fender pro reverbs rather. Um, they, that was the last time I saw like him do that tour with page and plant. They had this, is what he was using. And then, uh, band masters, 
uh, baseman, course marshals, oranges, you know, whatever, whatever he was was around. He's kind of known for being a cheap guy and would use whatever. Um, then you get guys like Brian May, who will not use anything but AC30s and very specific year AC30s. Yeah, and Brian May, that's exactly right. And he he even says that he uh, I saw this interview with him on um, something. He was talking about how he has to bring several. He brings, back. he brings six or twelve, depending on how many dates they're doing. And he's only playing through like no, two. he uses he uses three, <laughs> but the, but yeah. but the he, the reason why they have six on stage is so they have three. So when they blow up, they switch over to the other three, and, and they, they lose right. one a night. Basically, they they know they're going to lose yeah. one a night. And he actually said. Um, very sarcastically, it, you know, it was very funny to see him because he's not a sarcastic. No, no, he's very. But to see him say, he said, yeah, we've never had a problem. With yeah. Him. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's it, the, the it, amount of. Uh, so his his guitar tech is more an amp tech than a guitar tech. And yeah. he literally will rebuild those things on the road um, while they're, you know, going from place to place, sets up oh, a yeah. shop and starts, you know, rebuilding them because yep. they burn out tubes and blow up. Yeah, he's got he's got a um uh, uh multimeter, you know, and a and a test probe um, soldering yeah. gun and a test probe, yeah, and all that stuff to yeah. to do and, all the stuff. And he Yeah, yeah they rebuild them I they like one a one a week or something. Because they, they said they burn out one a night. They usually take twelve on the road, six on stage, and then they're using um actually now they're using his they're not even using the vintage ones as much. They have a bunch of his uh his uh signature ones which are basically the same as the vintage ones and they only have one knob on them it's like a volume knob yeah. in the back it's not even on the top yeah, it's in the back yeah because he doesn't care about the tone and everything that's already built to where he wants it, it, it it's um uh it, i remember where i saw it it was in the uh vox history of vox and it was an interesting uh thing you know the super beatles um and uh, him, they got a phone call. It's funny because um, he gets a phone call from, uh, you know, the beat, this guy. And he says, I want you to um, give these kids some amps. And he, go, and he goes, who are they? Well, there's this band. He, they just came back from, from uh, Germany. And uh, we think they're going to hit it big. They're called the Beatles. He goes, how much are we going to ha- uh, charge them for? He goes, no, we want you to give them to them for free. He goes, I don't get it. Do that for anybody. <laughs> And it's funny because they finally did work out some some agreement, but it just it just made me laugh. It's you know, of course, when you don't know who the Beatles are, the Beatles are nobody. But it was just funny. No, I've heard to hear the famous Beatle endorsed amp from them is not what people think it is. So, like a lot of people think that you know the Super Beetle, the the piggyback thing that they built, was like this. It, like it was like an AC 100, you know, kind of idea. No, that yeah, was a touring. That was a touring. No, thing. they weren't even the same things as what they sold. They were solid right. state. Yeah, they were solid state. That's what I was just and gonna say. I think they ended up selling like these super beetle heads that were actually tube things. Um, if I recall, that's the story. But that the that the amps that they were using, they switched over to solid state because they didn't want any of the problems, things blowing up. Um, yep. and you got to remember. The Beatles at that time, 50 watts was not enough to get over the screaming girls, the audience. So they needed they needed as loud as they could get, um, which yep. is why they ended up with like what the six by tens or whatever that 
office were. Yes. Some crazy thing like that. Yeah. Yeah, if you watch that New York City, uh, what is it? Uh, they're playing uh, not Dodger Stadium, but one of the big stadiums, and uh, you can see the the Super Beetles. But again, like you said, they're not the Super Beetles people thought they were buying. These were huge, like several hundred watt um, solid state heads because they wouldn't get the rigors of the road. Yeah, yeah. Well, they so they didn't actually end up offering a Super Beetle. It was closer to what they were using. Um, and it's funny because it was, again, a solid state head. I think they were 100, 100 or 150 watts. Uh, they were offered with a 6x10 cab, I believe. And I'm just I'm just going off the cuff. I don't remember exactly the specs. Um, I actually had a my, – my guitar teacher had one um, back in the 70s, and he kicked himself because he sold it. Um, he sold it because, you know, well, solid state amp sucked. And later on, you know, now those things are highly sought after and they weren't bad. They were actually pretty good sounding things. Um, and he was telling me at that time period, like there were a lot of bands that were making these really strange amplification deals um, with companies that, you know, that don't even exist. Anymore. Like the Doors was, they had some PA indoor. Oh, yeah. And, and Robbie Krieger was playing through some like PA amplifier for like a really yeah. long time. Um, who was it? I know Genesis used some sort of flat amplification system for for um, uh, Steve Hackett for a while. They had a high watt too. Skinner, but... yeah, Skinner used somewhere like uh, PVs or well, something. Well, that that kind of makes sense because the the uh, Southern Connection. But um, I it, if you go back in time, you'll find these like weird cases where people were using off stuff like the uh, the Super Beetle, which um that's a whole that's a whole other thing is like beatles the the what the beatles did to gear and the, the gear industry because it you would think they had more influence on the gear industry than they did i mean the guitars they were most synonymous with like rickenbacker for example are largely not i mean i don't think about the beatles when i think rickenbacker you know what i think about i think about the birds Yep. And it's really strange because um, I I have a feeling my generation is unique in that regard, number one. Uh, But also because they didn't, it's like they had the casinos. That was another thing they were kind of, kind of known for. And I would think that would probably be more. uh, Yeah. When you, yeah. When you think about the Beatles, there was, there were the Beatles and then the Beatles, right? So the Beatles that first came out, they had the Rickenbackers and the, and the, um, the Foxes. And then there were the Beatles that didn't tour. So all we got were videos of them in the studio. So then we saw the casinos and we saw the, um, the telecasters and we saw the, um, that stuff that, that previously wasn't out there. The three, three fives. Um, I'm actually looking for information on the real super beetle. All I'm finding is the stupid mini super beetle article. Yeah, that thing's awful. Um, anyway, it's basically yeah. Beatles memorabilia. So, yeah, it's basically yeah. That's that's like when people come in, they go to buy the lunchbox amps, and if they pick up the Fender or the Orange, they go no, 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 put it down. <laughs> get the Black Star Fly. If you're gonna, if you want to pay only you know sub a hundred dollars for this thing, at least get the one that's gonna work. I mean, if you can't afford a hundred dollars for a uh, what is it? The Katana Mini. Yeah. Yeah. Then don't worry. Um, so here, 
Super Beetle. I'm looking at it. I'm trying to find the cabinet size because that's the thing. No, it was a four by twelve, but they were staggered, and it actually had, yeah, they were. It like had this. two mid axe horns in it. Yep. Oh my god! I think that's what made it so tall. Yeah, probably. Right? Because usually you would have a, you would have eight by twelve. Yeah, I forgot about the horns because I knew that was like they were like p they were like a PA system more than they were. Yeah, they say I think they sang through two. I, of them. I believe it. They were insanely loud though because they were 150 watts, and they were rated yep. to compete with the wattages that they were rating the AC30 at. Which, if you know your amplification, people will tell you that the AC30 is really a 50 watt amplifier. And that the the AC50 heads, which came out later, were were more like a 75 watt amplifier. They were closer to like a twin reverb um, in their power yeah. output. So for them to be using um, these 100 watt, you know, 120 watt RMS solid state amps at that time, that were basically tuned to be loud and, and efficient. Um, I can't imagine how loud these things actually were. Funny story though, right? And this is this is I want to I want to end on this fact. There was another person who's came out recently and tried to convince people that this is the sound of their band, um, and that is uh, Jimmy Page says that he was using the Super Beetle on a lot of early Led Zeppelin recordings. Wow! Uh, I don't believe it for a second. Uh, I think he's leading people down a rabbit hole, uh, but <laughs> but. You know, that's a funny story, like, to think that, you know, he would be using a Super Beetle. So, you think the elderly statesman is going to lead people down rabbit nah, hole? Yeah, he's done it before. <laughs> how many How many times did he tell people that he used different Supros? Like, he said the 1x15, the 6x9, and then it wound up being a custom modded 12-inch cabinet with a, one of their more common circuits in it, like a Coronado or something. And he actually had dozens of these things. Um, he had actually not just the one by twelve, but like all the different variations. But the one he favored was like modded out of all the parts that he liked from the other ones. Um, and it was really more about microphone placement than it was the amp itself. Uh, because right. I played the Black Magic, which is supposed to be like kind of a vintage reproduction of what the one that that he donated to the Experience Music Project is actually like. Yeah. Um, now, first off, you have to believe that Jimmy would actually donate the one he used on recordings, which yeah, I'm kind of struggling my Probably shoulders not. on that one. But nevertheless, there have been some people that said they saw it in the studio and stuff. Um, I played that thing. And yeah, it does sound like like good times, bad times. But it sounds like good times, bad times. If you put a plate reverb on it and you put the microphone in the right place, it's not it's not going to be like Zeppelin tone in a box. It, that's just not what it is. Um Right. And that's, I said, I think Jimmy Page could just say he used anything and people would believe him at this point because he could figure out how to do it. I mean, he'd take the back off one of these super beetles and put the, put the, uh, the microphone like inside the cone of a speaker pointing up. And all of a sudden it sounds like a super lead plexi <laughs> and, and people would believe he actually did that. I mean, he could say that and people would be like, that's how I got it. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, but to me, his sound is very much 1959 Super Lead Plexi, like it's always been said. Um, a lot of those records where you can hear those big-ass Marshall sounds, it's big-ass Marshall. <laughs> That's what it is. Oh, yeah. Hey, so when Paige was with, uh, who was that band? The Firm. That was yep. uh, 
that was what's his face second lead right um uh, yeah paul rogers radioactive yeah, radioactive. Not that other radioactive. That, and that's why I know. That's why every time somebody says, "I, oh, I, I think about somebody, it," well, I tell people the good radioactive, not the bad one. <laughs> yeah. When I first, I never heard the song. Right? Somebody goes, "We're going to cover radioactive." I'm like, "All oh, right." I like, nah, 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 yeah. nah, nah, you know. And then this boring pile. Of- you're like, you're like, oh man, I get to play that crazy diminished lick, you know? And then, yep. Nope, not going to happen. Nope. <laughs> So, it's some some boring droning pile of junk. Since we're, ta- since we're talking about, dragons. since we're going to talk about Magic Dragons, that's yeah. Right. Since we're going to talk about yeah, um, uh, Rick and Morty. Now, um, since we're going to talk about, uh, <laughs> that's the only good thing about that episode, by the way, is that yeah, yeah. That we can now make it fun of Imagine Dragons. Um, right. <laughs> the uh, we're talking about Jimmy Page and the Firm, like the Firm. The, the firm was literally just an excuse for Jimmy Page to just prove to people that he could take anything and turn it into a riff that would actually sell. And if you listen yeah. to some of those songs, uh, more so yeah. than anything he did in Led Zeppelin, it's so abstract. You're like, how the hell did he yeah. get away with that? And and then you got Paul oh, Rogers yeah, singing. Weird. You know, he could sing the the phone book and it would sound fine. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. that's the, the he's an incredible singer. But that riff and radioactive and man. and every song is like that. It's not just that song. I no, mean, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. It, it, you listen to that riff, and at first you're like, oh, it's just a descending uh, pentatonic. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> All right, I have been David, and I've and been Jim. We've been the Practical Guitarists. Bye. Good evening.